show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago and it's gone right to my head. Wherever I may roam, on land or sea or foam, you can always hear me sing this song. Show me the way to go home. Hello and welcome to the virtual pub for some drinks, trivia and social history with absolutely no tasting notes. I'm Tim and I'm joined by my drinking buddy, Larry. Hi. What are we serving today? We are serving Benedictine realness. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving your cassock. <laughs> Thank you. Do, do, um, uh, do you like what I'm wearing? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, is that a, like a sexy vicar? I mean, you've tried. Yeah, and I've got one of those, you know, those um, uh, sort of straps you put around your thigh that have like spikes in them just to make sure you're being penitent at all times. I've forgotten what they're called. It's in the Da Vinci Code, that one. You know what I'm talking about. Sure. I, I accidentally put my chastity belt on. I got confused. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Good luck. Uh, before everyone thinks we've completely lost it, we are talking about Trappist beer. Oh yeah, we are. Um, I have got I've got a Trappist beer to drink. Let me let me just show you. Stop something on the floor. It's started, folks. Um, can you see my lovely bottles? Oh, they look I've very got nice. Trappist Rochefort. Yeah, the Trappists have a very nice bottle design. I have noticed. If you're into mm. quilling. Um, so I've got, I've got two different sorts here. I've got one that just says six with a red circle on and one that says eight with mm-hmm. a green circle on. Um, and that relates not to the, well, it sort of relates to the strength, but it doesn't mean that they're six and eight percent. It relates to the gravity, um, which as a reminder is the amount of fermentable sugars before you add the yeast. Mm. Uh, the six bottle is there oldest variety that they've got it's not six percent it's 7.5 and (laughs) the (laughs) which i have just opened and the eight is 9.2 percent and that is that that was made for their new year celebration uh variety so you are gonna be drunk (laughs) (laughs) the two i've got on hand um it should be said that uh, so i've got two belgian beers um, and mm. I was drinking a, a Belgian Trappist for our IPA episode, even. <laughs> Refused to drink a normal IPA, had a, had a Belgian awful. <laughs> Listen to that if you want to find out why. Um, they There is a Belgian Trappist saying that beer should be liquid bread, not coloured water. So, mm. um, hence the, the colour I've got, which is definitely not coloured water. It does look like liquid bread. But yes. I will just kick off the episode by saying that um, Trappist is not a style. It's a religious way of life and a licensed label, and uh, which reflects kind of where it's come from. So not all Trappists are Belgian beers. It's just that I have had two different sorts of Belgian Trappist beer in recent yeah. episodes. It's not a phase, mom. It's not a phase, mom. <laughs> How about you? What are you drinking? Oh, I've got a sad beer, actually. I couldn't find any delicious Trappist things in any of the supermarkets near me. So I've just got a strong French beer instead. And I know a lot of people associate Trappist beers with Belgium, but mm-hmm. it's like France of the OGs, which I'm yes. sure we'll learn about in this episode. So I you am will. kind of on brand. When you say strong French beer, have you just dropped some vodka into a Stella? Uh, I put some of that Buckfast in it that you bought me. <laughs> <laughs> have you Have you actually had that yet? 
<laughs> no, it's actually I I rearranged my drinks earlier. Had a bit of a dust of yeah. the shelves and stared at it longingly. And I did consider drinking it <laughs> tonight, you know, but I thought it, no. I mean it would have been appropriate. It isn't. I know. Beer. I know. I, mean, I know. And but... you're supposed to drink it on this podcast. I know, but I I know that we're filming more than one podcast today, and it's not going to go well if I drink a bottle of Buckfast with this one. <laughs> I mean, you've already called it filming. Uh... <laughs> uh, yeah. Told you it was strong. <laughs> mm. So, Trappists. Uh, they are officially known as the Order of Cistercians of the Strict Observance. They are a Catholic religious order of cloistered monastics that have branched off from the Cistercians. So, the this order, Trappists, takes its name from Le Trappe Abbey, or Le Grand Trappe, which is located, as you said, in the French province of Normandy. Hurrah! Um, yeah, I think because I, generally when I reach for a Trappist beer, I go Belgian. I think a lot of people think Trappist beer is just another word for Belgian beer, but no, French origin. Um, so, a bit more history. In the 1660s, their practice was very much centred on penitence, like I am with my spiky um, spiky thigh. Um, <laughs> and what they said was, we want hard manual labour, silence, a meagre diet, isolation from the world, and renunciation of most studies. So the hard labour was um, in part penitence, but also practical, because it meant that the monastery would support itself. And that meant that communication with the outside world could be kept at a minimum. So it's it's kind of, they're all interlinked, the reasons uh, why they behave the way they do. It wasn't a complete vow of silence, by the way. A lot of people think they couldn't speak at all. They, they could, but they just chose not to because it was really like speech was this thing that could lead to you behaving badly. You might start <laughs> telling dirty jokes, for example. Um, I would not would thrive there. Frowned <laughs> upon. No, no, exactly. <laughs> um, so this movement spread to other Cistercian monasteries. Uh, they took up those reforms um, and they called themselves Trappist after the original. Then during the French Revolution, 1792, they were exiled from France and established themselves in Switzerland for a while, but they did return to La Trappe a few years later, and it was during that period um, that a lot of the original monasteries and therefore breweries were destroyed. So when you look into the history of a lot of these, a lot of these sort of say, oh, there's been a monastery and possibly a brewery from as far back as the 13th century. A lot of them were destroyed around the 18th, and so... Um, now a lot of the ones you'll drink from they'll say generally they're founded in around the 1800s and that's probably why mm-hmm. um why, why else am i telling you this so uh, in the 19th century the holy see um you know the pope etc tried to unite the french monasteries which ended up then creating two differently named la traps so we had one in france and we had one in switzerland but the traps preferred to be united. So they ended up leaving the Cistercians entirely in order to do that. Um, I thought I'd tell you a bit about kind of the numbers and the spread before we actually get onto the beer. Um, Mm -hmm. Cistercian monasteries have continued to spread, many founded outside of Europe in the 20th century. In particular, the number of Trappist monasteries throughout the world has more than doubled over the past 60 years. So it was 82 in 1940, and then it went to 127 in 1970, 
and then we're somewhere around 169.70 or something now. Um, in 1940, there were six Trappist monasteries in Asia, Asia and the Pacific, and only one in Africa, and there were none in Latin America. And now there are 13 in Central and South America, 17 in Africa, and 23 in Asia and the Pacific. Um, so those communities are growing faster than in other parts of the world. I think that's generally true of Christianity. I don't think that's just a Trappist thing. Mm-hmm. Um, over the same period, the total number of monks and nuns in the order, however, has decreased by about 15%. So we've got more monasteries, they're more spread than ever, but actually there's fewer people in them. Um, on average now, there are 25 members per community, uh, which is about half of, of what it used to be uh, at their peak. And I believe the latest figures we have, there are just under 1,800 Trappist monks and uh, just under 1,600 Trappistine nuns across the world. Which, if you do your maths from what you're probably about to tell us about how many of them are breweries, means that there are fewer than one in ten of the Trappist monasteries making beer. Mm-hmm. Mostly, when they make stuff to sell to other people so that, so that they can support themselves, it's bread and cheese and Christmas cards and things like that. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds like I just threw that one in, but I didn't. They do. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, they can make anything. They don't just have to make beer. Fewer than one in ten of them do at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is that right? Was that kind of like the number of um, yeah. breweries you found? So, because obviously I, I didn't, I only looked into like the brewery stuff and the beer side of things. Mm. Um, it's quite a surprise actually to hear how many monasteries there are across the globe because yeah, yeah, the num- the number of breweries are minute in comparison. Um, so there are only 13 um, Trappist brewing monasteries across the world. Um, so there are um, six in Belgium. Two in the Netherlands, one in Austria, one in Italy, one in England, one in France, and one in Spain. So they're all in Europe. There was one in the United States, and it was obviously the only um, Trappist brewery outside of Europe. Um, this was the Spencer Brewery. Um, but unfortunately, they closed, I think it was around two years ago. Um, they were just finding it really hard to kind of keep going during the COVID pandemic and Mm. closed, which is very sad. Um, But yeah, I mean, Trappist beer, um, an interesting observation is that they don't necessarily have to be completely 100% kind of run and operated by monks. As long as it's under the supervision of monks at at the monastery, they can still be a Trappist beer. Um, so they can, as long as they've got a, at least one monk there to, <laughs> to oversee things, they can um, create jobs for people who are not monks. Um, so yeah, given that there are six um, Trappist Bruin monasteries in Belgium, uh, many of Belgium's most popular exports happen to be Trappist brews. Um, as you mentioned a lot of them kind of they brew the beer to fund their works and charitable causes um however when they originally started doing it um they did it to feed the community um but they tend not to talk about it as much you'll notice if you go into the websites etc you don't it kind of flies largely under the radar and that's what they aim for they just they brew it they keep it self-sufficient to help charities 
um you know they don't have like the whole distillery or brewery, brewery tours and gift shops etc they'll have it online but it's also the kind of a bit of respect because the monks don't need to be pestered by boozed up people on stag do's doing a brewery tour <laughs> no well as i said they're supposed to be keeping their communication to a minimum so it doesn't really work to do all that does it yeah um so and one thing that they are quite kind of strict about as well is that they want the beers to be quite balanced you know there's a lot of breweries out there now we're trying to make the hoppiest or the sourest or the fruitiest beer or the booziest beer i mean they're all pretty damn boozy um but that's just not the style of a monk they just have a nice as they say not not extreme beer a nice balanced balanced beer um there are handfuls of unofficial breweries um but in order to be an official trappist brewery the monastery has to be recognized by the international trappist association mm. uh and if you are recognised by that, you can see it on the logo. Um, there's a label on... So can you see it on yours? Is there yeah. a little logo? Absolutely. It's... There do you know is. what? Considering the... How um, sort of authentically, you know, medieval and monkey the rest of the label is, the authentic <laughs> Trappist product badging is really quite horrible. Um, <laughs> it's just... It's just a, he- a hexagon with black mm-hmm. and white writing, and it doesn't fit the design um, of the beers at all. So that's my feedback to the um, <laughs> the Trappist Association labelling. Could you choose something prettier, please? I think it's probably because it's relatively new. Um, so it was 1997, um, the International Trappist Association was founded, and it was founded by eight Trappist abbeys. Uh, and it was obviously to prevent the kind of unofficial breweries and the non-Trappist commercial companies from abusing the Trappist name. So it's a private association and they created that beautiful logo that you can find on uh, <laughs> on the beer. But it's also assigned to the other goods that they produce. So like you mentioned, the bread, the cheese, etc. So as long as it's got that stamp. Um, but it has to respect a very precise criteria within the production of it. Um, mm-hmm. For the beers... That criteria is that the beer must be brewed within the walls of a Trappist monastery, either by the monks themselves or under their supervision. The brewery must be of secondary importance within the monastery and it should witness to the business practices proper to a monastic way of life. And that finally, the brewery is not intended to be a profit making venture. The income covers the living expenses of the monks and the maintenance of the buildings and grounds. Whatever remains is donated to charity for social work to help aid persons in need. Um, yeah, I've, I've, so. I've got um, I've got an example of a one of the breweries that's kind of fallen foul of that um, a couple of times. I don't know if you saw this, but this the um, I mean probably one of the most well known of the Trappist beers is La Trappe. Mm-hmm. Um, which is uh, a beer made by a Dutch brewery, uh, De Koningshoven. And um, they, so they've been in and out of the Trappist group because in addition to sort of, you know, making it for themselves and their locale, they also contracted to private brewers at different times. They owned mm-hmm. bars where they sold lager. And in fact, for the whole of the 1970s, they were licensed to Artois, now InBev. Which is honestly, which you know, as we know, is 
one of the biggest sort of multinational mm. um, corporations, so not at all in fitting with the Trappist ethos. Um, they lost it in 1999 most recently because the monks that were working there were too old and too few to work the brewery. And so they contracted to the commercial brewer Bavaria, um, which again is not in keeping with the rules. So they had it revoked until they could get monks to commit a few more hours work to it um, every week. And then they had it restored in 2005. So they mm-hmm. do have it now. They do have the lovely logo on the trap bottles. Mm-hmm. Um, it is back. But this is why it was kind of relevant to talk about, although there's a spread of Trappist monasteries, there's fewer and fewer monks, which means if they can't actually make the beer themselves, or at least contribute to it, then they're going to lose that accreditation. There are not enough yeah. monks. So if anyone's looking for a career in brewing, yeah. and they can't get into any of the big ones, just mm-hmm. consider becoming a monk. Um, well, there was one one that closed. Did you hear about? Is it Ashel? Aken, yeah, I had, Aken. I had that on. Oh, Aken, yeah. yeah, I've got that Aken. later on, I think. Ah, yeah. I, won't, I won't spoil the drama. Just the mention <laughs> of it, but yeah, I mean, basically, that's that's what happened. Spoiler ahead is yeah, they ran out of monks. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the, the trap typically make um, a double, triple, and blonde. They also are the only trappists that make a vit beer. Mm. Um, vit beer. You can get around this with ab- getting an Abbey beer accreditation. Have you heard of this one? Have you seen this? I've not. So you can get a designation of Abbey beer, um, which was originally devised by the Belgian breweries um, for any monastic style beer that was not produced in an actual monastery. So after the introduction of the official Trappist beer designation by the ITA in 97, as you said, it um, it came to mean that products that were similar in style or presentation, it says, um, you know, weren't allowed to be labelled that. So they needed another label and they went for Abbey beer. So it might be produced by a non-Trappist monastery, for example, a Cistercian or a Benedictine one. Or it might be produced by a commercial brewery under an arrangement with an extant monastery. Or branded with the name of a defunct or, and here we go, fictitious abbey by a commercial brewer, or given a vaguely monastic branding without specifically mentioning monastery by a commercial brewer. Now then, um, (laughs) given that we already established at the top of this podcast that Trappist isn't a style of beer, it describes how it was made and where it comes from, how (laughs) they could get away with saying it's not a Trappist, but it's a monastic style it's a trappist style it's got vaguely monastic branding that could be and that could literally be anything mm-hmm. how can you just put a picture of an abbey that you've made up onto any beer and then call it an abbey beer it makes <laughs> absolutely no sense so if you are thinking that you'll reach for an abbey beer because you think it will be trappist style don't take that for granted. Do actually look at the ingredients or where it's made or anything like that because it's it's kind of a nonsense. Mm. <laughs> just there's some shit people in the world. <laughs> do you want to, just before we leave um, uh, the monks as such? Do you want to um, a, a couple of quick facts about Saint Benedict because I would he, love he it. He guided their work ethic from his forty eighth chapter of the Rules of Saint Benedict. Mm-hmm. Uh, which says, for then are they monks in truth if they live by the work of their hands. I mean, that's that's pretty much it. But um, <laughs> yeah, fact. So he has a twin sister 
called Scholastica. Um, great name. Yeah. That's a great name for a drag queen. Scholastica. Yeah, please welcome to the stage, Scholastica. So she's considered <laughs> the founder of the Benedictine nuns. So they, they essentially founded the order together, um, but obviously nuns and monks separately. Um, he survived two assassination attempts. The first attempt was committed by monks who had begged St. Benedict to be their abbot and found that they did not appreciate his strict rules. Work, don't talk, etc. So they poisoned his wine. Very <sighs> drinks appropriate. They poisoned, Very tenacious day. <laughs> they poisoned wine in a chalice and presented it to him. Uh, and when St. Benedict blessed the chalice before drinking, the chalice shattered. <gasps> That's the story. That's and there so was lucky. A second attempt, which I think is more metal. Um, was by a neighbouring priest who was jealous of St. Benedict. So he brought over some poisoned bread. But knowing it was poison, St. Benedict called over a raven who frequently ate from his hand to take the bread somewhere where no one could eat it. <laughs> <laughs> this guy sounds great. <laughs> and my third fact is that Eggs Benedict is not named after him. Um, <laughs> well, we, we are... all know it's named after Benedict Cumberbatch. So. Well, we're not we're not exactly uh, sure who it's named after. It does seem to be nineteenth <laughs> century American, but there's various stories uh, around where that comes from. Um, and the reason I put in uh, that weird third fact is because we don't really know that much about him, to be honest. Considering <laughs> he's been so influential about you know, let's all be penitent and meagre and all that sort of stuff. We don't know that much about his life. Yeah, loves people working, doesn't like talking likes a pint mm-hmm. sounds like someone i know <laughs> do you want to talk about the types <laughs> yeah <laughs> um types of trappist beer so trappist beers are mainly top fermented and bottle conditioned um the breweries use various naming conventions for the different beers i'm really glad that you brought up the numbers at the start because um, I did start reading into that and I got quite confused because I didn't understand the whole gravity thing. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you are welcome, Isaac Newton. Out. I did. By the way, this was really good podcast. I just did a mic drop, like gravity, but um, ah, but uh, you can't see it, and I literally didn't get it. So <laughs> I, I wasn't looking. I was looking at my notes. So. I was... <laughs> Um, so yeah, I didn't get the numbers, so I, um, settled on reading into the most common ones, which are the ones where you hear ankle, dubel, triple, and quadruple. Mm-hmm. Um, so I dug into those. So ankle, meaning single, um, that's a term used by the breweries to describe the basic recipe of their beers. Um, the name kind of went out of fashion with breweries for a while, but it has come back in recent years. Um, so, for example, La Trap, um, they always used to call their five, which is a... Are you drinking La Trap? I've forgotten what you're drinking. No, you're not drinking La no, Trap. No, Rochefort. Yeah. So, La Trap's five or six have been used to describe their brewery's lightest beer, but that would essentially be like an ankle. Um, Chimay introduced an ankle called Dory or Gold um, that was commercially in bottles in 2015. Uh, Westmall made their ankle, um, they called it Extra. Uh, that was available commercially through some outlets in 2010. And the term is also used um, interchangeably with pa- pa- Peter's beer, meaning father's beer, um, as 
those ankles are quite a weak beer brewed originally to be in originally to be consumed by the monks themselves and that's how you can tell whether at that monastery the monks drink habitually or not because mm. if they do have if they have something on their line which is the, the weaker one you know the table beer essentially it means that they do probably drink beer regularly with their meals and if mm -hmm. they don't it means they probably only drink it on special occasions Ooh, i would not be that monk <laughs> <laughs> uh so the dubel no uh, surprise to know that it's the double mm -hmm. so the origin of the dubel was a beer brewed in the trappist abbey of westmall in 1856 uh, this was then imitated by other breweries um both commercial and trappist um and it started to kind of go beyond belgium then and spread worldwide it was kind of the original trailblazer and that's then led to that emergence of as you said the style uh, the Dubel Trappist style beers. Um, so Dubels are understood to be fairly strong. They're six to eight percent. A brown ale with an understated bitterness, a fairly heavy body, and pronounced fruitiness and a cereal character. That sounds very much me. <laughs> I don't yeah, mean in terms are... of taste. I mean character. <laughs> <laughs> Checked off all of those. <laughs> tick tick tick. Uh, triple. So that is traditionally used, or was traditionally used, to describe the strongest beer in the range. Uh, so Westmall Triple is considered to be the foundation of this beer again, Westmall Trailblazers. Uh, it was developed in the 1930s. Um, the one that, uh, did I mispronounce it? The one that ran out of monks, Ashel? Ashel? I don't know how to say it. Oh, um... <laughs> Ashel? I don't know, it's like... It's way near the bottom of my uh, notes. I would have thought it'd be no. Ar Arkel. Arkel. So Arkel had an eight blonde, which would have been a triple. You've got the Westmall triple, La Trap triple, and Chimay white. They're all good examples. Uh, the style has proven popular among secular breweries like um, Bostiles and St. Bernardus. Triples as a style are generally beers with an alcohol content ranging from 8 to 10% ABV. So as I mentioned, that was traditional use to describe the strongest, but then please come to the stage quadruple. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so there's an, a La Trap Ale that was brewed, which was stronger and darker than their triple. Uh, the Rochefort 10, the West Laverne 12 and the Zunder 10 are also examples of quadruples and they can be, you know, up to 12% or over strong stuff mm -hmm. um so i mentioned the old trailblazers westmall um so i wanted to read into them a little bit so can i tell you about them yes please do did you mention the colors by the way um i did on some of them so obviously the the ankle is I think a week. I didn't mention. Pain. No, no, no. I mean, I mean labels. So you know. I, oh, sorry. You know, I, I thought you I meant the a, appearance. No. So you know, I said I had like a red circle six, and then a was it a green or blue? A green eight. So that's so colours are sometimes used to indicate the different types as well, rather than just the numbers. And that goes back mm. to the days when bottles weren't actually labelled. So the only way you could identify them was by the bottle top alone, much like milk. 
You know how milk, mm. when you got milk bottles, you just get the different colour foil caps. It wasn't like it didn't have a label on. So it's yeah. the same sort of thing. You would just look for the colour of the cap and that would tell you what variety uh, you were going to get. So for the Shimei beer, for example, in order of increasing strength, it's red, then white, then blue. Um, in fact, the mm. the, the um, Vesvleteren uh, beers are still unlabeled. So the only way you can tell is by the colour of the caps. <laughs> nice. Sorry, please do, please do carry on with uh, Vestmal. Vestmal. I'm going to open another beer for this. Okay. I'm not because mine's stronger than yours. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Vestmal. It is the oldest Trappist brewery in Belgium. And as I've already mentioned, they brew three different beers. And they are credited with being the first golden strong pale ale to use the term triple. A uh, bit of history on them. <laughs> I'm going to try and pronounce the name of the abbey, the official name of the abbey. Strap in. Abdie on the leave vrouw van het helig han van Jesus. It sounded vaguely Flemish to me until you got Spanish at the end. <laughs> Jesus. It's got a Z in it, so Jesus. Jesus. Uh, so I'm not saying that again. That yeah, sure, abbey, that, that abbey was founded uh, in 1794, but the community was not elevated to the rank of Trappist Abbey until April 1836. Right. So the so first. If I remember history, sorry to interrupt you. I just remember mm -hmm. the history. I said seventeen ninety two. I think was the French Revolution. So they're founded. They must have been founded immediately after the dust settled, which is why they're the oldest one, I presume. Mm hmm. They saw the gap, and they went. Mm hmm. So the first abbot, Martinus Dom, decided that the abbey would brew its own beer, and the first beer was brewed on the first of August, eighteen thirty six. And then it was first imbibed on the 10th of December, 1836. Now, I don't know if that's because they had to wait for it to ferment, etc. Or they were just really, really, you know, not as greedy as I would be with a delicious Trappist beer. <laughs> it would not <laughs> last that long. <laughs> well, they, do, they be... do age, don't they? This is the point of Trappist is they are the beers yeah. that age very well compared to most beers where you want them fresh. That would not last four months in waiting for me. <laughs> anyway, the pioneer brewers were Father Bonaventura Hermans and Albertius Kemps. The first beer was described as light in alcohol and rather sweet. Fast forward 20 years, 1856, the monks introduced a second beer, the first strong brown beer. That brown beer is today considered the first double. Uh, double. Um, it's derived from a recipe first brewed in 1926. Um, so they started selling it straight away. Um, however, the, the oldest registered sale is in 1861, but it is said that as soon as they started making it in 1856, they were selling it. Uh, within a decade, the, the brewery was enlarged and rebuilt, and that was an example based on the example set by a nearby um, Trappist monastery of Forge near Chimay. Uh, Father Ignatius Van Ham joined the brewery in 1921, and he really ramped things up with the kind of commercialization of sales. 
they started then selling into traders. That's when the mega money was coming in. <laughs> I feel bad saying mega money when I talk about monks. Sorry. They were doing a bit better. Uh... <laughs> That's when all the charitable, charitable boons arrived. Yes. <laughs> um, they, so they, they completely built a new brewery in uh, 1934. And that brewery brewed a very strong peel ale, 9.5%, which introduced the triple. Uh, that is known as the first modern use of the name. The brewery was then further remodelled recently. I say recently, I mean the 90s. <laughs> 1991, it was remodelled and it currently has a bottling facility of five, 45,000 bottles per hour. Um, as I mentioned, a lot of these Trappist monasteries and breweries um, only need to be kind of under the supervision of monks. Um, so there are currently 62 people working in the brewery, 22 of them are monks and 40 of them are outside staff. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to chat about the three beers, I know I have spoke to them, but um, the triple, 9.5%, first brewed in 1934. The recipe, however, has not changed since 1956, so keeping it old school. It's made with a pale candy sugar, it's got a very pale colour, and it's produced from a mash of light Pilsner malts. They use Styrian Golden hops, along with some other German varieties, and the classic Saz Pilsner Pilsner hop. God, I'm not even drinking Trappist beer and I can't get my words out. Um, After a long secondary fermentation, the triple is bottled with a dose of sugar and yeast. Uh, the extra, or as we mentioned earlier, the Enkel, that's 5% and it's a limited availability as that's also known as the Pater's beer. Mm-hmm. It's the one that the monks drink during the working day. Um, you see, exactly. Lads, lads, lads. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also been speculated that the choice of the three types of beers they produce was based on the Holy Trinity. Are you laughing because I said lads, lads, lads? I, I am because then I was about to say it, but you, but you carried on speaking. So I was like, I'm not going to interrupt you. But what I wanted to say was hashtag lads for the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and just thinking that maybe a monk should rebrand for the 21st century. Hashtag lads for the we Lord. We should get in touch with them. Yeah. It's like a marketing rebranding dream team. Well, do you know what? Actually, this is one of my favourite things about researching the Trappist to go off on a tangent was the difference in um, websites. Mm. So the ones you may have heard of, you know, yeah. or about, they look like normal professional websites that you might see if you went onto any brewery. Mm-hmm. And then there's a couple of them that look very much like someone in their afternoon found um, a free build your own website creator and went, <laughs> do you know what that'll do? I'll stick a couple of photos up. And they're the most... <laughs> not to be patronising but they're the most adorable things <laughs> it's just a couple of photos of the lads for the lord standing proudly next to their uh, brewery tanks and going oh, try our beer and I'm like yes <laughs> I need to look at more of them I only went on the Westmal one Yeah, but that's a great segue because actually I want to talk about some of the stuff I found on the website oh, Okay. Um, so they've got a lovely section on there for food pairing for the beers so according to them, they use the scientific food pairing method to, to, to determine which products or dishes make the best match with their beers. Mm-hmm. So this food pairing method um, 
it's kind of it's like an algorithm and a database of thousands of taste profiles that can then be used to make you know pairings and recipes um so as well as beer they also make cheese and milk so there was a lot of that on there as well mm-hmm. but they did have specific pairings for the beers so the triple um it's quite fruity with a lot of complex aromas so they say that makes a perfect match with fresh and fruity desserts mm-hmm. And the Dubel is brewed with dark malt and has it's like hints of banana, malt and caramel. So they suggest that that makes a lovely combination with chocolate or coffee. Do you know what? That's So <clears throat> I'm drinking, the one I'm drinking, the the number six, um, Rochefort. I was just thinking in my head, it tastes like, I don't need to test your but I was thinking it tastes like banoffee pie. It tastes like ba- uh, banana and caramel, like you just said, with, with that taste mm. description. And I was thinking to myself, what would I serve with this? And I was going to go straight for chocolate, because mm. what do you want with banoffee pie? You want some chocolate sauce. You want like a bitter chocolate tart. So yeah, I'm, I'm with them. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, th- their website is really good. And mm. they've got like tons of recipes on there to go with their beers, so... You're having a host in a Trappist themed party. I, you know where to go. I think I've got this sorted. I already, <laughs> I already have that one. Um, finally, they had a little section on there on how to pour and store. Thought, you know, given that we thought we were gonna like nail the whole how to pour champagne thing when we filmed, uh, recorded that episode. Yeah. And it was just organised chaos. We just went to shit really. I thought it might be worth doing a little section on how to pour and store these beers. Okay. <laughs> um, so, store the bottles in an upright position in a dark environment and at a constant temperature between 8 and 14 degrees Celsius. Sure. If you store them at a lower temperature, it might become cloudy. Mm-hmm. After buying them, allow the bottle to rest for at least a week before pouring. No. Sorry. Didn't do that. <laughs> Uh, if you don't, it co- oh, well. If you do, it causes the yeast to sink towards the bottom of the bottle and ensure that the bo- the beer is nice and clear in the glass. Yeah, I don't mind that though. Well, I there don't is mind a, there a is bit a of extra yeast. There's a little section at the bottom that I'm going to come to. There's a reason why. Oh, okay. Um, so this one to me feels a little bit like the marketing team has weighed in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you must serve our beers in a small glass. This does full justice to the complex character of the beer and allows a rich head of froth to develop. Sure. Also, keeping the glass free of grease helps the frothy head to stay in place as you drink. So, I mean, I can't guarantee anything is grease-free, but um, I have, <laughs> I did pour it into a, a wine glass resembling a chalice as opposed to like a beer glass. It's not branded, sorry. It's not branded. I taste horrible now. (laughs) Now I've realised it's not branded. Um, When it comes to pouring, hold the glass at an angle. Start pouring slowly onto the glass just below the rim. Continue to pour in one smooth movement. As you finish, move the glass into a horizontal position and finish pouring in the middle. This is how you achieve a perfect head. Yeah, I mean, that's just pouring a beer, isn't it, really? Well, they say the last section... This is about the yeast. Right. It's important to leave around a centimetre of beer in the bottle. That allows that bottom layer that's been sitting there over the course of the week that you did not drink the beer. 
it lets it lets you drink it separately so it's very rich in vitamin b and it is said to clear the blood and it's good to have it in one big bush dose but i'm drinking it anyway it doesn't make a difference yeah but they say in one one sure. centimeter of beer and a, a lot of yeast <laughs> are you still mad because you haven't got the glass and you've bugged the yeast up <laughs> No, I'm pretty. I'm pretty happy with the choices I've made. How's your vodka and Stella going down? Stop telling everyone my secrets. <laughs> Thank you. Mm. Yeah. Do you want to talk to me about some breweries? Well, yeah. I thought, seeing as you've just done the oldest, um, I thought I'd tell you about the newest, <gasps> okay. the newest Trappist brewery on the block. Um, so this is this was only kind of given the official stamp in 2018, um, and they are British. <gasps> it's called Tint Meadow, the the brewery. Uh, they are from Leicestershire. Um, it's actually the monks of Mount Saint Bernard Abbey, and um, but the reason they haven't named it after their abbey like everyone else does is because there already is a brand that's using that, so they couldn't. So oh. instead, they've named it after their land rather than the abbey. So that's why it's Tint Meadow. Mm-hmm. It's spelled T-Y-N-T, by the way. Um, but I, I believe it's Tint and not Tint or Taint. Or taint. <laughs> New um, Taint was coming. <laughs> yeah. So they are they are the newest Trappist and they're also the first in the UK to brew a Trappist ale. Um, it is english in style rather than belgian but it is still strong so it's a 7.4 percent but they have used all english ingredients so you know just a reminder again when we say about trappist ale doesn't mean it's belgian in style um i did i did try to get hold of that one actually but that that's a bit harder to get hold of they're newer they're not producing as much and everybody loves it and they're shipping quite a lot of it to belgium as it turns out (laughs) um i thought i'd just i'd read a bit from straight from their website like go straight to their marketing people because this is one of the ones i found a bit adorable Mm -hmm. um so i'm going to read their story to you it says our community's main work has always been the cultivation of the land cistercians have always been farmers at the beginning of the 21st century, it became increasingly apparent that farming was no longer viable at Mount St. Bernard. By the way, um, if you want to know more about St. Bernard's drinks, go to like one of our really early episodes on St. Bernard's yeah. Palace. Um, developments in modern agriculture, combined with the consistently low price of milk, made it hard to run our dairy farm profitably. In 2013, we reached the point where it seemed irresponsible to continue. Uh, When the inviability of farming became obvious, we began to look for an alternative source of income and common work. We aimed to establish an industry in which many of us could be involved. Brewing met our requirements. After much careful research and community discussion, we decided to revive the Abbey's beer-making tradition. We know for a fact that beer was brewed here in the 19th century, and contrary to widespread perception, monastic brewing has never been confined only to the Low Countries. Past visitors to our community have left accounts expressing their liking for the monk's table beer. Although the historic recipe has been lost, we're certain that the ale we're brewing now is at least as delicious and nurturing. In 2017-18, we relocated our refectory, kitchen and laundry to provide space for the installation of a new artisanal brewery. We will keep the volume of production relatively small, just enough to meet our expenses and support our charitable commitments. As of 2018, the brewery is our principal field of labour. All the work from brewing to bottling and packaging is done by the monks. They have a lovely label, by the way. They've gone above and beyond in their label. 
Mm. It's a black bottle, and they've they cut out the bottom of the label to be the outline of the um, of the monastery, which nice. must make it pretty expensive. And then the uh, writing for the name is hand quilled. Fancy. Um, they continue. Trappist beers tend to be named after the place in which the monastery is situated. We've called ours Tint Meadow to honour the link with the plot of land on which the monastic life was refounded here in the Midlands almost two centuries ago. Being part of the great Trappist tradition, we've chosen to produce a strong dark ale, but one with a clearly English character. Tint Meadow is mahogany coloured with a subtle warm red hue and a lasting beige head. Its aroma carries hints of dark chocolate, licorice and rich fruit flavours. The beer is full-bodied, gently balancing the taste of dark chocolate, pepper and fig. It leaves a warm mm. and dry finish on the palate. Tint Meadow is brewed with English barley and hops using an English strain of yeast. It is twice fermented, with the first fermentation taking place in the tank and the second in the bottle. It should be stored in a cool, dark, quiet place. So, yeah, it does... So, it's kind of that mix. I say it's like English ingredients making sort of that Belgian Trappist style, but obviously it's mm. a dark beer. Um, and then... One more bit from them. This is uh, Dom Eric's address at the Brewery Blessing on St. George's Day in 2018. He says, One of the fascinating things about beer is that this potentially sophisticated beverage is made of the simplest ingredients. By being refined to manifest their choicest qualities, by being brought together in a favourable environment, by mingling their properties and so revealing fresh potential, by being carefully stored and matured, the humble malt, hops, yeast and water are spirit-filled and bring forth something new, something nurturing and good that brings joy to those who share it. Considering this perspective, the brewery provides us with a parable for our monastic life, with the Lord as virtuoso brewmaster. The scriptures favour wine as an image of the gospel, but that is culturally conditioned. Beer, it seems to me, is a much-neglected theological symbol. Isn't that nice? Yeah. I quite like it. So, um, you know, the, I think that, you know, the, their story of they couldn't um, be, well, not only not only profitable, but I think it's more about the sustainability. They couldn't be sustainable on their land and operate in a way that was a bit more ethical doing their dairy farming and so converted into a brewery. Um, if any other dairy farmers want to consider that, I won't, I won't um, stand in their way. Well, <laughs> <laughs> the dairy farms want to become breweries i'm sure we'll have some takers um funny yeah, enough there's one i i think i've mentioned it on this podcast there's one um, a belgian guy that's moved to um west wales mm. a, a, quite a while ago now because he was yeah. a dairy farmer and he's he started making his own whiskey and gin so yeah crack on and make some beer please <laughs> <laughs> um I also want to tell you a little bit, uh, a, a kind of a, a bit of a story about Rochefort that I'm drinking. Mm-hmm. So uh, they have been in a court battle quite recently in a dispute with the uh, Louist Group, which is the world's largest producer of chalk. And um, yeah, why, you might wonder. <laughs> what? So the monks of the Abbey of Notre Dame of Saint-Rheim produced... Um, produce these beers using the water from the Tredane Spring. But uh, the Louis company wants to um, continue producing chalk from the area until 2046, is what they believe their contract is. And that would involve redirecting the course of the existing spring. So the monks took their case to court, relying on legal documentation from 1833, that forbid anyone, including the owner of the quarry, 
from changing the course of the spring. So although they owned that part of the land, there was a preceding document that said you can't change the course of the spring because this monastery is using it. So it essentially gave the rights to the abbey to receive them uh, naturally. Mm-hmm. And that was that, that deed actually dated more than a century before quarrying was begun. And it was 66 years before the founding of the current brewery. So it was protected in its own right as a spring before the brewery even got involved, actually. Uh, this this abbey bears the motto Curvata Resurgo, which means drink more, <laughs> it drink means, responsibly. It means bent over, I stand up. <laughs> oh, I I'm mean... not entirely sure why. I don't know what that means, but I thought <laughs> that's going in the notes. So uh, the the monks said that if the quarry messes with the groundwater, it will mess with the quality of their beer. The quarry owner said they did repeated tests. They said that's not true. It wouldn't do that. However, the Rochefort monks were not convinced, so they took it to court and um, they won. Essentially, Yay! It's the short version. I love they having them. They won. So uh, they... It, it, Kind of a lot of the newspapers were sort of David and Goliath about it. I mean, it's true, yes. obviously, like the, the quarry company was absolutely massive. But we should also remember that Rochefort has an annual turnover of about 14 million euros. Uh, so it's not it's not exactly just like a couple of monks going, please don't mess with our water. You know, they are also a, a legitimate company as well. But I, I, I think that's quite a nice, um, nice outcome for them. Mm. <laughs> Um, yeah, they so last year, two years ago, last year, two years ago, they announced their first new beer in 65 years, um, which is quite exciting. So I think they probably took that victory as a spur to try something new. (laughs) (laughs) Um, oh, yeah, and I've come to the part of my notes where I said that Arkle lost its um authentic Trappist product because uh, the last of the monks retired and were not replaced. We need a new generation of monks, please. We need the beer. Well, I did read, though, um, the Westmar Brewery have actually kind of taken authority of that brewery that's run out of monks. Mm. So they've kind of taken over the kind of operation of it. But obviously there are no monks at that monastery anymore. Yeah. So they're, they're still brewing there, but because it's completely brewed by people from outside of the monastery... They can no longer have the label on their their bottles. So, according to Vesmar Brewery, they've said, you know, it doesn't really change much for beer drinkers because we're still brewing it. We we're using the same techniques, same ingredients. It's it doesn't change. It just means that that kind of official Trappist logo won't be on the label anymore. Yeah. So yeah. the beer won't be lost, but. The Jesus it's... Lord shiz is gone. <laughs> the Lord shiz is gone. It's funny, isn't it? Because, I mean, it's not like the world is short of people who want to be brewers in an ethical cooperative, which is, just, you mm. know, it's kind of the vibe they're going for. I mean, obviously, they do a lot more in that and they have to do lots of prayer and, you know, believe in God and all that sort of stuff. But in terms of, like, the ethos of, why they're doing it and to what scale they're doing it and the impact on the land and stuff. There are a lot of breweries who are imitating that sort of thing. And it's sort of, in a way, it's a shame that um, the weather, kind of it's strictly religious or not, kind of has to come into that aspect of it. But anyway, Mm. yeah. Mm. 
Um, I thought I'd... I, I, so I was looking specifically for some, for some examples of the charity. Because like you say, they don't kind of... Not many places really talk much yeah. about it. And I tried looking. It's hard to find, isn't it? Yeah, I wanted to know out of curiosity, but also to sort of fact check, you know, me. Um, I'm like, <laughs> are you? Are you really supporting good charities? Um, so, because I'm suspicious of everyone. Uh, but I did actually find, so I went on the Shimei website is where I found some examples, finally. Uh, obviously, they are, they're quite a big one. And um, I had a click around and a nosy around them and they all looked very impressive. So um, they are offering a lot of support for development in rural areas, uh, particularly around entrepreneurial opportunities, agri- sustainable agriculture. Um, they're investing a lot in as part of the Shimei Vartois Foundation. Um, they have a special tool called the, well, the English translation is the Rural Entrepreneurship Encouragement Grant, but in the original language's acronym, it's BEER. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah the beer um the beer grant is for rural entrepreneurship and that's open to anyone who kind of has an idea for something that they could do that's sustainable in their community particularly around things like farming um they also invest quite a lot in ecological transition and innovation and youth education so they do a lot of stuff in educating people in nearby environments and also other countries. And they do a lot of stuff about disability rights, getting people into work um, with disability as well. So there was there was lots of projects on the go. They had loads of things that they were funding or associated with. But I had to click through all of them with my cynical mind on and went, actually, these all look really good. So there you go. Bless them. Good lads. Yeah. Oh, you see, so, you know, you also said that you can't go for tours generally. They are closed <laughs> off because of um, who they are. But the La Trappe Brewery, Koningshoven, uh, does offer tours around their bottling plant and their old brewery and parts of their site along with beer tasting. So that's one I found that you can go and have a nosy around if you want to. So thought I'd end with Spread one of the spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anything else from you before we shut our traps? Oh, see what you did there. Yep. My traps shut me. This chastity belt's tight. <laughs> and so our glasses have run dry, which means it's time for Vespers. That's the evening prayer, not the martini cocktail. Or the scooter. No, or the scooter. Although, <laughs> martini Vesper on scooter on Vesper. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Can always